From the windows, doors, and more studios, your one-stop shop for all your kitchen and bath needs. The Pat Miller Program. Whoa, whoa. 92.3 FM and 1190 AM. Depend on it. And welcome back. And as we told you, uh, in this hour, 3rd District Congressman Jim Banks is with us. And we want to run to Washington, D.C. And there he is on this Saturday. Congressman Banks, good afternoon to you, sir. Hey, good to be with you, Pat. Nice to have you with us. Uh, nice to have a program to have you with us on. So we're, we're just glad to be here. Um, a lot of things going on, a lot of pieces moving around. Uh, just a real 30,000-foot flyover. Give me your take real quick uh, at the top shelf, the presidential races for each party. Is, is it tighter than it should be? I mean, when I look at Donald Trump and I look at his business prowess and he's being so attacked – by leftist and left-leaning judges, and they're trying to sue him out of all of his his wealth. And then on the other side, you've got a guy that can't put two sentences together. This should be a non-contest, but it's starting to feel a little uncomfortable to me. Well, every poll that you see shows Donald Trump uh, growing a, a bigger and bigger lead versus Donald or against Joe Biden. One thing I look at, Pat, is is state of Michigan. But uh, Trump won Michigan in sixteen. Biden won Michigan in 2020, and polls this week show Donald Trump with a sizable lead in Michigan, a state that that uh, Biden won uh, four years ago. Right. You look at states like Georgia and Arizona, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania. Trump has leads in all of those states that Biden won in 2020. So to me, that's a sign that that Donald Trump um, is. Uh, is building a strong lead as as voters see how much of a disaster uh, 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 Joe Biden has been for this country, and and realize that that Donald Trump was just so much better of a president that America was better off. We were a stronger country when he was in the White House. So I, I feel good about it. The thing that bothers me most uh, where we sit today is uh, is Nikki Haley remaining in this race. Every day that she stays in this race is helping Joe Biden. Uh, when she should get out of the race and get behind Donald Trump and back him and show her support. She's not going to win a primary in a single state. She's going to lose all 50 state Republican primaries to Donald Trump. Why in the world is she still in the race if she's not trying to help Joe Biden? The the only thing I can imagine, just me, is that she somehow feels that after all of the court pressure that the Trump push will explode and that his campaign will implode, A, I don't think that's going to happen. But B, if it does, I don't know that that means that everything that's left would go to Nikki Haley. That, that's right. I mean, it's, it's, it's just obvious at this point that every time the left, the radical left goes after Donald Trump, um, that, that, that strengthens his uh, support. I mean, my, I think about voters like my dad. I mean, every time they go after every time they go after Donald Trump, it makes my dad want to work that much harder to help uh, Trump. Uh, not just win the Republican primary, but uh, but win in November. So they're, they're only strengthening strengthening his support. But at the end of the day, Pat, we just go back to what what Donald Trump did to put America first, and what he accomplished in four years is unprecedented. He's the strongest president of my lifetime. He's going to be a, he's going to be a strong and great president again. And that's what the American people are looking for. The, the border is the best example. Donald Trump secured our border. And Joe, Joe Biden has left it wide open, and the country is, uh, is suffering because of it. So put Donald Trump back in the White House to make America energy independent again, secure the border, hold China accountable. Um, the, the only president of my, uh, 
of, of modern times who didn't start a new war, that the, the world was safer when, when Donald Trump was in the White House. There's so many reasons to put him back uh, in the Oval Office, and, and that's why his support is growing by the day. Do you know, I came across an article last night, Congressman Banks, that said um, that in the during the Biden administration, so th- three-plus years, that during this time, we now have had more illegals come through, and I hope I'm quoting this right, than the populations of 36 different states. Huh. We've had we've had more come across the border than the population of the state of Indiana. That, yes, that insanity. scares me to death. Pure insanity, and and also by the way, when you, you know, Fox News did a did a story last week where they interviewed these illegals coming across the border, and so few of them are from Mexico, and the and and so many of them are from China. I mean, I, take that in for a minute. Our biggest enemy knows that the easiest way to get into our country is to send uh, their people through the southern border where where that's wide open. They can march right into our country, and they're they're our biggest enemy, not to mention the drugs and the crime. Uh, And and Joe Biden is directly responsible for it, and and Democrats in Congress don't want to do anything to stop it. They're focused on everything else but securing our own border, and this is something that's going to cripple and affect our country and our kids the future of this country for a long time to come, and and I'm I'm afraid we can't take much more of it, and uh, that that's why it's so important that we got to get a president back in the White House who's who's focused on it, as well as you know Donald Trump is campaigning on on a and he's articulated a very reasonable and strong plan for a mass deportation of illegals, and I I when I get to the United States Senate path, that's I'm I'm going to fight alongside Donald Trump to deport. The 10 million plus illegals that have come into our country, that'll be a huge undertaking, but but it's so important that we do that. No, I think that's exactly correct. Uh, Congressman, as we walk on, I know that you had kind of locked arms a little bit with Stefanik and Waltz uh, requesting that the Department of Justice investigate this NGO, this non-governmental organization, uh, the International Crisis Group, uh, based in Brussels, which basically is an unregistered agent for the government of Iran. I mean, why should we even have to make a deal out of that? It should be the thought of every God-loving, constitutional-loving American that the last thing that we want to do is is to brace up anything that helps the government of Iran. Yeah. The, the reason this is especially explosive, the more that we learn about this NGO, this nonprofit, the guy who led it, Again, ties to the Iranian government, which is the biggest state sponsor of terrorism in the world. And the guy who led it is the guy that Joe Biden picked to be the the uh, the ambassador or the uh, his uh, liaison uh, to Iran. Remember when when uh, when Obama was president, we had the Iran nuclear deal. Donald Trump campaigned against it and got us out of it. And then when Joe Biden came to town. He tried to he tried to renegotiate an Iran deal to to funnel money and give give uh, support to a to a country that we know funnels all that money to Hezbollah, the Houthis, Hamas, the uh, the terrorist groups who are responsible on attacks on our our most important ally, that being Israel. So the Department of Justice needs to investigate this particular group because they're going to find out that I think you know there, that there there are um, uh, bad motives. Uh, not just on part of the group, but why, why did the why did the why did the Biden administration use this group 
um, as a as a uh, liaison with the Iranian government. It raises a lot of questions. A lot of troubling questions. Uh, you mentioned Israel. Uh, let's talk about that real quick. H.R. seventy two seventeen. You voted in favor of seventy two seventeen, which basically is a standalone bill. Seventeen point six billion dollars to Israel as they fight back against Hamas, and here's the word again, other Iranian-backed terrorists. Um, I am not stunned, shocked, or surprised that Congressman Jim Banks would be in favor of this. I'm very, very, very disappointed that President Joe Biden said he would veto this legislation. Yeah, it's really crazy. I mean, we, we had Donald Trump in office, who was the, mo- the, the, the best friend of Israel that we've ever had in the White House. He moved the embassy... Uh, to Jerusalem, he provided significant aid to Israel. He he negotiated the Abraham Accords to bring peace to the Middle East and and to stand with our our greatest ally that we have in the world. Uh, especially at a time like now, with, with Hamas attacking Israel, hold, holding hostages. You, then you have Joe Biden calling for ceasefires and, and trying to get in the way of of Netanyahu and and Israel from doing what they need to do to wipe Hamas and these terrorist groups off off the map. And and uh, Biden is standing in their way. So. When we had an opportunity in the House to vote for a bill to provide aid to Israel, of course, I'm, I'm always going to stand with Israel. And uh, that, that's what I've done now with, with uh, twice now voting for significant aid packages. By the way, the Democrats vote against, that Biden stands against. Um, and when the, the, one, the one Israel aid package that did pass out of the House is just sitting in the Senate, and, and Schumer and, and, the, and the Senate Democrats are ignoring it and not taking it up and passing it, passing it on. So... Uh, of course, I'll always stand with Israel, and it's important that we do that, especially at a time like this. Well, you know, and and just thinking back through my lifetime, um, to say that we stand with Israel as our friend has been a chant that has brought um, raucous applause uh, from any crowd anywhere in any arena ever since I was in high school. And now, now you get Chuck Schumer and others who are saying, well, we don't know because, you know, and Israel is very questionable here and there. A, do they not realize, does Chuck Schumer not realize how many Jews live in New York? And B, um, are those Jews afraid to make their positions known or are people afraid to stand with them? Will the day come when a Chuck Schumer-led event will actually start taking a stand against Israelis? Yeah, you you have a lot of uh, high, per, high, very high percentage of Jewish voters in America who, who largely vote Democrat. But I've seen polling this week that shows that that's largely shifting more Republican than we've ever seen before. But but this is the this is what's going on, Pat. I'll I'll, I'll sum this up for you. These Democrats will they always put Ukraine first. You know, if you rank it in order, it's you yep. for them. It's Ukraine first. Israel is low on their list. America last. And that, that's what's going on here is they want to tie they, – they, they won't pass an Israel aid package if it doesn't include a significant amount of aid to Ukraine. So they're holding Israel aid hostage for Ukraine aid. And then at the end of the day, they're not doing anything to secure our border, to build the wall, to focus on the United States of America because they always put America last. So that, that's, the, that's the dysfunction. That's the – that's that's the, the the ideology of the Democrats of the left. Um, Ukraine first, everything else last, and and that's what you're seeing play play out in this regard. And you know when you when you put those two in the same sentence, when you look at Israel and Ukraine, if people don't want to support Israel because they just don't like them, fine if that's your position. 
if they want to, f- to support Ukraine, guess what? I do too, but not at the cost of everything else, and not as long as we still cannot find accountability of some tens of billions of dollars that we have already given Ukraine, and yet we have nothing on paper to tell us how it was, how it was spent. I've never seen that in our relationship with Israel. That's right. These Democrats and even some Republicans have blocked efforts that we've let the House conservatives, including myself, have led to put an inspector general uh, in charge of making holding holding Ukraine accountable for how the dollars are spent that we sent them. We spent them. We sent them well over a hundred billion dollars so far to Ukraine, and we know a lot of that money has been corruptly spent or or, or funneled to different corrupt interests and not spent uh, on the war. Uh, that we're, that America is funding. So yeah. that's why I voted against all this Ukraine funding and will continue to do so. But here's the here's the secret, Pat. I, I will vote for a package that builds the wall, that reinstitutes the, the uh, successful policies of the Trump administration to secure the border, ending catch and release, the Remain in Mexico policy. Um, if you if you give me that, then I'll vote for Ukraine funding. Um, if it's in line with the funding that you're spending to secure our border and then put aid for Israel in that package, too. There are a lot of conservatives like myself who will vote for something like that. But there has been nothing like that. The the the, uh, the boondoggle that was negotiated in the Senate didn't do that. It didn't secure our border. It had a lot of policies that that did exactly the opposite. But if you put H.R. 2, the House bill that we passed over a year ago, that reinstitutes the Trump policies and build the wall with Ukraine funding and Israel funding with accountability in, included in it, I could probably vote for that. Yeah. yeah and, and to say anything less is when people just really start taking you to task and wanting to you know, rip your toenails out or something because you're so unfaithful. You know, look, over $100 billion to Ukraine. Do you know what over $100 billion would have done over the course of the last year on our southern border alone? I mean, if we would have really taken that $100 billion and put it into troops and into the wall, we wouldn't have some of the problem we've got. We've got 100,000-plus a year dying of fentanyl, uh, Congressman, that's coming across that southern border. Yeah, the, 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 open, the wide open border is the biggest issue affecting our country today. And if, if uh, you, we even have some Republicans, some Republicans who we know, Pat, who are more focused on Ukraine than they are on our southern border. And that's, that's a travesty. When Donald Trump comes back to the White House, it won't be that way. He'll put he'll put our border first, and America's interests first. And uh, but but today we have we have the opposite. This is why I'm running for the Senate. We have a lot of Republicans in the Senate who put America last, who are more focused on Ukraine than they are on our southern border. And you know, with me, that's not what you're going to get. I'm, I, I have a strong America First voting record. That's what I'm going to fight for. And securing the border will be at the top of the list. Exactly right. And you've always done that, and I'll always expect you to do it. When I turn on my radio first thing on a Monday morning and I hear you saying what you're standing for that week, I'm never surprised. Congressman Jim Banks, thank you so very much, sir. I appreciate the fact uh, that for the last few years you've always been with me uh, on Thursdays on the Pat Miller Program, and now we're doing it as part of the Pat Miller Weekend Roundup on Saturdays. But I still look forward to visiting with you each and every week. For today, Congressman, thank you very much. Count me in. Thank you, Pat. This is the Pat Miller Program on WoWo, 92.3 FM at 1190 AM, and on the WoWo app. Hey, welcome back. So Donald Trump now is working along 
uh, with all of his minions and the people all around him to try to decide what does the next phase of his campaign look like. For all practical purposes, there's not a lot left. He's, he's already established himself as the candidate. I don't think you can argue that. He's going to be the candidate unless something absolutely horrific happens, either with his health or with the courts or something. I don't foresee any of that happening. So it will probably be Donald Trump. So what is the next big thing he has to do? He has to come up with his running mate. Who is the running mate for Donald Trump going to be? I have a huge, huge, huge prediction. And write this down, uh, David, so that you have this, and I'll sign it, and that way we know that we said it first. It will not be Mike Pence. That's just you and me, so there you go. Now watch, something crazy happens, and it becomes Mike Pence, and I look like an idiot. It won't be Mike Pence. Who will it be? Well, um, the commanding frontrunner of the GOP nomination has plenty of praise for these political candidates who joined Trump at his Fox News town hall meeting on Tuesday uh, in Greenville, South Carolina, upstate South Carolina. During the program, which ran on Fox, on the Ingram angle, Trump was asked about a half a dozen potential running mate choices. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, Tim Scott of South Carolina, millionaire biotech entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy, South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem, Representative Byron Donalds of Florida, and former Republican uh, Representative Tulsi Gabbard of Iowa, who is, uh, I'm sorry, of Ohio, of Hawaii, who was a Democrat who turned incumbent. Now, because Gabbard was a Democrat and has since become an independent, people say, well, that's just a bridge too far. That's the kind of challenge t- Trump would like. He, he might buy into something like that. He, he really might. Um, Byron Donalds of Florida. Now, I am still reading for you, so you don't have to go read it all, some interpretations of our Constitution. Because Byron Donalds of Florida may have the same difficulty as a governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis. Because there is some question as to what it is that's laid out relative to the uh, qualifications of somebody to run for president and for qualifications to run for vice president that actually they can't be from the same state. Just go back and find the last time that happened. Um, You've got this front runner, and then you've got his running mate from the same state? I don't know. Let me look at some of the others. Tim Scott. Tim Scott, where is he from? Tim Scott is from South Carolina. South Carolina. Who else is from South Carolina? Christy Nome is from South Carolina. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. I'm jumping ahead of myself here. Uh, <laughs> his, his last remaining uh, competitor there. Uh, on the presidential stage. She uh, is from South Carolina, the former governor, the former um, the former uh, member of the United States staff to the United Nations, Nikki Haley. Christy Nome is one of them that is being considered uh, as she is a governor of, uh, of a state 
of uh, South Dakota. It, it's hard to say how this will work because you've got DeSantis from Florida, Donalds from Florida. Even if you find somebody who can slice the um, can slice the uh, bread a certain way, so there's enough left, so that that can happen. Uh, in the midst of all of that, um, it, it might be too much too soon, too too difficult to slice. Somebody will challenge it. Why go through all that if you don't have to? Tim Scott, who's from South Carolina. The reason I think here's Tim Scott, young, black, very smart. Very articulate. That's why I think that he'll have a shot. And he's from the same state as Nikki Haley. That could be a plus. Back with more straight ahead right here on Wobo, 92.3 FM and 1190 AM. And welcome back uh, here uh, as we're uh, rolling through our last hour together here on the Pat Middle Program, the weekend roundup on Saturdays. Glad you guys are going to be with us from now on, from noon to three. And with us right now is a great friend of the program, a great friend of the lovely Mrs. Miller and me. It's Christy Stutzman. Christy, good afternoon to you, my dear. Good afternoon. Great to be with you. Yeah. Uh, so now, you just recently were down in Nashville, uh, Tennessee, not Indiana. And uh, Kim and I were down there a couple of weeks before that, down there at uh, the Fishers Center uh, there at Belmont University for the Inspiration Weekend with the Collingsworths and a lot of their friends. Oh. It was just amazing. Absolutely wow. amazing. Yeah. But you're down there, and a lot of the reasons you're down there is you're talking about the spiritual price of political science. Talk to me about the latest Christy Stutzman book. Yeah, it's doing really well. We're getting great response. I thought it was interesting that there's a convention down here of a lot of folks who are kind of in Christian media, and uh, the conversation has changed and kind of morphed into talking about things that we didn't talk about 50 years ago. Uh, and my book addresses both of, both of the issues that, you know, were taboo in Grandma's house, you know, no religion or politics at the table. Yeah. And really it's shifting. It's like, you know what, we got to talk about this because we're losing our kids, we're losing our culture, and if we don't talk to them about it, somebody else will. So let's get our act together and let's just... Start talking about these you know things. what you, you just said right there. You know, if you don't talk about them, somebody else will. I get it that a lot of well-meaning Christians, or at least well-meaning conservatives, are like, I can't believe what they're bringing into our schools now. What they're talking to them about—that's not where that belongs. No, it belongs in the home. But Christy, a lot of us in the home are dropping the ball, and our kids are sitting ducks. Yeah, and I think the church is taking a long look in the mirror right now. People of faith across the board are just going, huh, wait a minute, how did this happen? Yeah. Yeah, we dropped the ball, and it's, it's up to us to change this. I mean, it starts with your own heart. you got to change the culture in your own heart. But you also have to know what you believe and why you believe it. Yeah. Uh, and then be able to share it with others. I mean, that's, that's a big part of it. You know, that's a line that I use whether I'm talking to my Sunday morning Sunday school class um, of us middle-aged and slightly older adults or the class that Kim and I now have been with for about a half a month which is a Sunday evening class at our church for those that are post high school and they're either in college or they're college age, probably, you know, ages 18 to 32. But I hit him with the same thing, Christy. Look, it's great what you believe, but you better know why you believe it, because if you don't have those underpinnings, a whole part of society stands by ready to knock it out from under you. Yeah. And it can't be all about 
I feel this way. I mean, your feelings can lie to you, you know, so yep. you've got to know the facts. You've got to know the truth. And I get so tired of hearing this phrase, well, my truth, you know, uh-huh. well, that's your truth. I mean, there's only one truth, and that's God's truth. And if we don't stick by it, we don't know it, and we can't share it with our kids. And we've got to be prepared for what they come home with, you know, from school, all of this stuff, whether it's on social media or in the curriculum or wherever they hear it or see it. Uh, we have to be armed. You know, somebody asked me the other day, if you had a billboard and you could put it up and give a message to people of faith across America, what would you say? Boy, I had to think about that. But I think I would say, arise, O Church of God, and put your armor on. It was meant to be used. Yeah. And we're in a battle right now. Yeah, um, yeah. it's so not just to say I have a shield and I have a sword, just to say I have a shield and a sword. I need to be using them. Yeah, we need to use it because it's a battle. And I think a lot of us don't even know where to find our armor. You know, well, so we really need to be armed with that and know how to put it on and use it. Well, I know in, in the lead-in to one of the commentaries on your book, it says that in the midst of political chaos and corruption, people of faith in America, and this is so true, they, we've been misled about the role of faith in America's founding and their rights and responsibilities as American citizens. We're kowtowing down now. I mean, if you go all the way back to the days of Madeleine Murray O'Hare and get get prayer out of school, well, now Jesus yep. Christ is practically uh, an outlaw uh, in the halls of the schools in America. Christy, what are the actions that we're going to find in the spiritual price of political science that will help us right the ship here a little bit? Well, it's really practical. You know, I, I kind of uh, put feelers out there to a lot of friends, including you and others, and just said, you know, what would you recommend if uh, if you were writing a book, you know, what would you prefer uh, the format to be? And a lot of people said shorter chapters, you know, uh, sections with headings so I can know, like, what what is this about and things like that. So it's practical, but it also starts at the local level. And we're hearing this a lot uh, now in discussions with uh, even at this conference I was at and other places on the radio, people are saying, you know, politics has to start with the community and people being involved locally. And you see these parents who were outraged going to school board meetings and just, you know, letting them have it and running for school board. Uh, but, you know, every elected office, what from, you know, school board to town council to commissioners, they're all key positions. And what I'm encouraging people to do is learn how to vet your candidates. If they don't have a Christian worldview, if they don't have Judeo-Christian values, uh, then you can't just say, well, you know, they're just running for commissioner. They're not going to deal with pro-life issues, because eventually they might run for a position where they are dealing with that issue. Right. Uh, so you really have to vet them early. Um, and in the book, I just share practical ways that you can do that. And it's really easier than you think. I mean, you know, with email and websites and uh, just all kinds of ways to reach people, social media, you know, there are ways to reach people and look at their platform, but also meet them in person, talk to them one-on-one, see them face-to-face and assess them as a person. Uh, it's really, really important, especially on the local level. It's a lot easier to do. Well, that's true, too. Uh, if we'll get off our backsides and do it. Um, yeah. what, what, <laughs> I tried to put that as mildly as I could. Um <laughs> No, but one of the things I'm concerned about is I see people, and and quite honestly, sometimes in my own past, to where I'm standing there taking this political stance, I said, you know, and the church needs to get with this and all that, and everybody's like, yeah! And then 
it dawned on me one night driving home from giving a speech that I'm not even exactly sure how far I'm willing to take my stand for faith. Am I willing to take it as far as some believers in the past have? Am I willing to be able to suffer ridicule and shame, uh, you know, being opposed financially, politically? Am I willing yeah. to be jailed so that I can take a stand for things that I think will matter to the next generation of Americans? Yeah, I think we saw that during uh, the whole pandemic COVID era, you know, with our churches uh, being intimidated and, you know, pastors being trying to figure out what to do. I mean, there was just so much going on, and there was a question of, you know, our freedoms and our responsibility to, you know, the community to keep everybody healthy. There was just all these conflicts, and I think it really kind of uh, created or fostered the ability to talk about this and go, where do we draw the line? What are we willing to compromise on? What are we willing not to compromise on? I mean, there's practical aspects of life, but then there's also conviction, uh, biblical conviction. And so, yeah, I mean, right now, I think the conversation is a good one as far as like our our um, our boldness uh, as people of faith to speak out. But I think as we're bold, we also need to be kind. Uh, we need to lead with love and uh, make sure that we are um, uniting people and not dividing ourselves. I, I don't think we should stand in judgment of, you know, other people just because they might have a different political, you know, preference or whatever. Um, so we got to be careful about that. But right now, um, you know, we have lost so much ground in our culture uh, that it is all hands on deck. Somebody asked me the other day, like, how long do you think America will last if the church does not engage? If people of faith just walk away and wash their hands and just bury their head in the sand, and I said, maybe a couple decades. You know, I mean, it's it's pretty dire right now. Yeah, no, that's exactly right, uh, and we're, and we're not getting any further away from that. And I, and I find that more of the fault, Christy, of those who are on. I'm using air quotes here. I know you can see them. Those who are on okay. our side, as opposed to those who are on the other side. Sometimes I'm I'm really 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 surprised. The people that want to stand up and scream for the spiritual price, to stand up and scream against politics as we know it. But then when you start to dig down a little bit about what it is we're supposed to believe and what it is that we're supposed to do, um, we can't seem to get to the point where we can um, just take a stand against everything. Uh, and, and it doesn't, and it, it just, I'm not saying this very well, but, but if it starts costing me something, then I'm not interested in the fight any longer. Well, then you're not really <laughs> wanting to be in the fight at all. Yeah, one thing that a uh, great piece of advice that we got a long time ago when my husband first ran for office was that, you know what, leave your reputation in God's hands. Leave it there. Because, you know, Christ made himself of no reputation. Yes. So who are we, you know, to say, well, I'm just so worried that they're going to say bad things about me. Yeah, they are. We can expect that. I think what's unique, too, about our opportunity in the history of the world, and this is a little window of opportunity that we've had for over 200 years, and that is, first of all, as Christians, we can always expect persecution. But second of all, the American political system has never been pretty. When you look at the history of America, the, you know, even back to Jefferson and Adams having their public d debates and disputes and, you know, glambasting each other in the newspapers, you know, to Abraham Lincoln and his opponents getting pretty ugly. I've seen some caricatures that were just appalling. Um, so it's never been pretty, and it's never meant to be this beautiful, you know, uh, unicorns and rainbows type yep. of experience in politics. It's pretty rough and tumble. And the reason it is is because democracy, you know, 
the the process of a democratic republic is not uh, meant to be smooth. It's meant, meant to be rough because everybody comes to the table and everybody brings their own perspective and their own uh, background and experiences. And then you're fighting to find a way forward together. Well, that's going to take some tough conversations. It's also going to take some big differences of opinion. You know, but I think one thing that we can start practicing in our homes is having a civil dialogue with our children. If we, Even if we disagree with them, learning how to agree to disagree in a kind and loving way and walking away, making sure that we all know we love each other and we want the best for each other uh, and being open to learning the facts and, and knowing the truth. Uh, getting, op- getting, you know, digging down to what is the bottom line here? What is the truth? What is going to change the dynamic and make sure that everybody moves forward? And we've been so polarized uh, by the media and by just our own misunderstanding of what our role is um, that I think sometimes we easily throw stones but don't easily come to the table and do the hard work of diplomacy, of bringing people together and saying, all right, let's talk about this. Uh, and that's what we need more of. What we do. And, and Christy, one of the things, too, in a book like this, this is a book where I am quick to ask you, I think I might know your answer, but I'm, I'm going to ask you anyway, is this a book primarily for adults and parents trying to guide the youth of America? Is this a book for the youth of America to get a better grip on who they are, what it is they're supposed to be? Or is this a book equally em, uh, emphasized to those on all sides of the spectrum? Well, I think it's it's written to uh, people of faith is who I wrote it to, my fellow Americans, people of faith. Um, so it's non-denominational. It's non-partisan. You know, I include uh, excerpts from, platform, from all the platforms in the book so that you can see for yourself where the parties stand on different issues and decide for yourself where you come down. Uh, so it's one of those where you can hand it to anyone and say, hey, this is a good book. And what I did in the beginning was I included a refresher course on the facts of from original documents, original letters and, uh, you know, uh, newspaper, everything, all these quotes from original documents and, and founders, uh, letting people know our Judeo-Christian founding and why they did what they did, how they came to the conclusions and the fact that they weren't they weren't perfect. Uh, nobody was perfect. We all know the problems, you know, that our country has gone through. But I think the beautiful thing that you see in this book is, first of all, where we came from, why they made the decisions. Here are the tools to be able to fix societal wrongs as the, the country continues to grow and expand. Here we have a, you know, a setup of tools within our government to be able to fix any societal wrongs that we see. Now, a lot of that has been um, exaggerated and expanded to the point where it is not within the purview of the Constitution for the federal government to do what it's doing in a lot of ways. And even there, we need to be at the table saying, now, wait a minute, this isn't in the Constitution. This isn't in your realm of, you right. know, of power right. to do this. Right. Um, so, you know, that part is very, very important, too. But this book is really you know, it's kind of a handbook. And at the end, it's all practical, like how to get involved, step one, two, three, local level, state level, federal level. Um, and it just kind of makes it less intimidating. It makes it doable, you know, starting off with, you know, attend a school board meeting. It, and it takes one night out of your week. So stuff like that. Yeah, no, that, that's that's a very good insight right there. Christy, always glad to know you. Uh, Kim and I are very glad to count you and Marlon 
among our friends, uh, and you've been oh, very successful. feel the same. Well, you've been very successful exactly. in Indiana with your businesses, uh, which help not only your community up there uh, in and around the barns of Napanee, uh, but also your friends, the ancillary businesses that you guys have, the people that I can't even imagine how many people are employed because of you guys. But because of that, um, I, I'm glad to see that you take the time not just to run around and say, hey, look what I've done, but you're, you're taking time to write a book so you can say, hey, we need to grab a hold of what's going on in this country. We better grab it now or there'll be nothing left to grab. Christy, I appreciate you being with us on our inaugural Saturday program. Uh, and, uh, Thank you so much. It's such an honor. Well, uh, oh, I know it is. And, and don't worry, you'll get a bill. So, <laughs> Well, listen, take care. T- tell your hubby I said hi, okay? I will. Thank you so much. This is the Pat Miller Program on WoWo, 92.3 FM and 1190 AM and at WoWo.com. Closing time, open all the doors and let you out into the world. Hey, welcome back. It's our last little segment together today on this Saturday. Thank you so much for being here with us. We appreciate it more than you could know. Joe Biden. Uh, as long as we're talking about service to our country. Here's what Joe Biden recently said this week. He said, I've served with real racists. I served with Strom Thurmond. I've served with all these guys that have set terrible records on race. But guess what? These guys, today's Republicans, are worse. These guys do not believe in basic democratic principles. Okay, well, first of all, Mr. President... What are you basing that on? Democratic principles like going over to Ukraine and threatening them and saying, if you don't fire you know, your attorney general who's coming after the company that's trying to hire my son, that billion dollars that's supposed to be coming to you from America, it's not going to come. Joe Biden repeatedly praised Strom Thurmond, called him his closest friend, urged him at one point to run for president, and eulogized him at his funeral. He also spoke at the funeral for Robert Byrd, who is a former KKK member. But that's different because, well, that's just Joe. So make sure you're here with us next week, next Saturday. We're here every Saturday from now on from noon to 3. We'll see you next week. Podcasts by Federated Media.